You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. For the Agony Column Podcast News Report, I'm Rick Kleffel. Patrice Vecchioni's books include Territory of the Wind, a collection of poetry, and the nonfiction book Writing in the Spiritual Life, Finding Your Voice by Looking Within. The editor of many respected anthologies of poetry and prose for adults and young people, her collections include the poetry anthologies Truth and Lies and Revenge and Forgiveness, and Storming Heaven's Gate, an anthology of spiritual writings by women. For over 25 years, Patrice has taught poetry and creative writing to children and adults through her program, The Heart of the Word, Poetry and the Imagination, a writing and literature program. Catherine Petricelli interviewed Patrice Vecchioni at a cafe in Monterey recently and heard her read aloud. In the first five minutes of audio, we'll hear Patrice Vecchioni read from the stage. The first poem is Dispel Fear and Hesitation, which is referred to in the interview. We'll hear her talk about how being invited to read inspires new writing. Then she reads My Alchemy, which she also reads at the end of the interview, and then she reads Forgotten. The fire alarm of desire, I want to pull it. Drive the engine through town, down back alleys, up billboard boulevards, past yards where laundry waves crisply on the line. With a bullhorn to my lips, I proclaim this instant. All the yeses you've stored up for another day, why not unleash them like dogs? Calling housewives and hairdressers, plumbers, children with your bouncing balls, railroad men and miners, flee whatever closed place locks you in. Come out here. It's perfect. (laughs) Come out here. Into the breeze. Into the heat of an afternoon that dispels fear and hesitation. The confetti of peach blossoms your name next to mine. Her name next to his sends it like salt spray to every distant shore. When I read that at the, at the, at the wedding, um, there was a little two-year-old there, and when I got to the part about um, unleashing your resistance like dogs, he said, yeah, baby, yeah! <laughs> if I could have had a kid like that, I might have had a kid. Um, you know, it's, it's always true for those of you in the audience who are also poets and read your work publicly. Soon as you get invited to give a reading, you start writing. You may not have been writing for months, you know, right? And you get invited and then you start writing. So I wrote a little, a few, a few, some weird shit, okay? And I'm going to read you one of the weird shit poems. That baby's too young to mind mine. 
music. <laughs> this is called My Alchemy. I'm the idiot of no restraint, the devotee of hitting my head against the wall ceaselessly, despite the ever-growing bump, despite the angry neighbors knocking at the door, hey, we're trying to sleep. What's going on in there? What's going on? You want to know? I'm an alchemist intent on making sunshine out of melting snow and turmeric. I'm busy trying to blossom purple irises at the height of the worst winter on record, sleeping with the bulbs each night between my breasts, singing to them as if they were babies. What am I thinking? Even a stranger would wonder. Even a man in a hood and sneakers would know this gal's a real case, peeking in through the window at someone singing lullabies to stones. And this next one I want to read um, because Kim likes it. It's called Forgotten. Well, before I read it, I have to preface. You know sometimes you, birds, you know, birds make their bird noises? But you don't hear the bird noises. You hear what the human would say if the human were that bird. Okay, well some of you don't, but that's alright. That's alright. I'm really okay. Forgotten. Do it now, call the birds in the pine out back. Do it now. I stop what I am doing, hands in hot water, try to remember all I've forgotten. What are those birds intent on reminding me of? Back go my hands into the suds. Every morning, the entire month of April, they call from the high branches, dart among the roses, drive me crazy. Do it now, do it now. Pen in hand, iron unwrinkling a blouse, telephone cradled, and I know I've ignored the most important thing. Once I remember, those birds will fly to someone else's tree. <laughs> In the next five minutes of audio, we're going to hear Patrice Vecchioni as she reads from stage, Poems Are My Enemy, it's a longer poem referred to in the interview, and Hot Springs at Calusa, a short poem. This is, this is called Poems Are My Enemy. My poems poke their fingers in my eye and laugh about it. When speaking, Spit flies out from between their teeth. Climbing over fences, my poems hike up their skirts, revealing what's meant to be hidden. They are so thin, when crying, their bones crack. They are so fat, when crying, they suffer cardiac arrest. My poems' bladders fail, and they must be diapered. They scream no at strangers. Sometimes they scream no at their best beloveds, even me who has made them instead of money. <laughs> who do they think they are? These poems need lessons intact. The 
arrogance of the homeless. Just because they sleep, if they sleep, they do it under bridges or in dark alleys. They think they can fart loudly in public and everybody should pretend it's nothing. <laughs> Calling to say they'll be right over, I brush my hair, apply lipstick, rush to the door at first knock only to find smoke. Not a poem anywhere. <laughs> Yet they induce sympathy in me. My poems suffer inexplicable fevers, stutter, getting stuck on single syllables till they shake their heads and give up. They tremble uncontrollably for no apparent reason, proclaim their abiding love to anyone wearing priestly vestments. My poems are freaks. Not made of language, but of splinters of shadow, of stories that won't close. My irreverent poems walk into Macy's and spray themselves silly with Chanel number no. five. <laughs> Once, my poems were found lying beside the road, having been hit, guts spilling, their smiling teeth like a necklace of pearls. Someday, they'll die of hunger. Someday, they'll die of running out of truth. My poems are the most beautiful shade of blue. Singing, their voices resemble church bells, a mother whispering to her child, a runner's feet touching down. Poor poems, crumbling under the weight of the word. They defy nature, they define me. And I would like to read you a poem from, um, from my book, um, what the hell is it called? Territory of Wind. Um, it's not, we, we miss summer somehow here, um, but um, in this poem, it was summer. It's called Hot Springs at Calusa. On days which at quick glance seemed unremarkable, and on days when it rained so hard, traveling down the dirt road would have been impossible. And at times when it was too warm to enter even the coolest tub, I have rested here. But never before in such weather. The winds become a gale in no time, a torrent pushing through the canyon. In the hottest bath, I sit alone, facing the storm. Bamboo flails, gold grasses flatten, pines twist and bend, and darkness comes. The wind has blown all the clouds away, but not the night's first star, nor the moon nearly full in the summer sky. Thank you very much. Now we're going to hear Catherine Petricelli's interview with Patrice Vecchioni at a cafe in Monterey. So I am in downtown Monterey, California at East Village Coffee Lounge with poet Patrice Vecchioni. Thanks for being with me. Good to be here. Um, Patrice, so you just did your reading. Yep. which we heard some of, yep. and um, you were talking a little bit about how 
readings for you always engender writing. Yeah. Can you speak to that more? You know, often when one writes, it feels like one is writing in a vacuum, in a sense. You know, maybe the poem gets published, and but that if that, even if when that happens, when the poem gets published, it's not immediate. It ta- you know, it's time. It takes time. So the idea of giving a reading, you know you're going to be published, as it were, using that word loosely. You're going to be received. It's very inspiring, the idea that, oh, I'm going to make something. It's like I'm going to make this shirt and somebody's going to wear it, rather than I'm going to make this shirt and it's going to be on a shelf. I like making shirts that people are going to wear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, since we're talking about speaking to an audience directly, I picked up in one of your poems, which the listeners won't hear, um, the poem that you read about a friend who had passed. This use of imperative is so gripping. Think of sorrow. Think of your sorrow. Um, Is that... Maybe you could speak about revising and, and conscious decisions you make around addressing audience. Oh, I see. Because when you're thinking, when you say "think of sorrow," it's implicit that some that you're ta- you're talking to somebody. In that, I mean, I'm that. I'm thinking of sorrow. You tell That's me right. to think of sorrow, That's and right. there I am. That's right. Um, I think when I wrote that poem, <clears throat> which is called "On the Back Porch," too, it's a poem about a friend of mine who cried for three days. Um, when, as I was writing it, I thought of sorrow. So here I'm writing about her sorrow, and all of a sudden I'm confronted with my own sorrow. And I realized that I wanted to be sure that the readers weren't, or or the listeners as it was tonight, weren't only thinking about this person they don't know and her grief, but I wanted to make sure that it was a, a direct you know, think of sorrow. Think of your own sorrow. This isn't just about this isn't just about my friend Allie. This is about everybody who's listening here. And um, I, I think in that case, that didn't come in the revision. I think that came as I was writing it. Um, but another poem I read tonight called "Poems Are My Enemy," that um, which is one I wrote. Just I've been working on it for about a week. A lot, a lot of hours into that piece. And at first I wrote it and I could hear the sentence structure was very similar. The sentences were all structured. I don't remember what the structure was again, but probably pronoun, verb, pronoun, verb, you know, pretty much, or or noun, verb. Um, And it's a long poem. And so as I was doing reworking on it to read it tonight, I thought, no, I have to, in order to make it interesting, in order to be able to hold for the length, there has to be a sense of the sentence structure shifting so that that there have to be questions, there have to be uh, various um, emphasis in, in the structure of the sentence. It has to shift. It can't all be the same. That was really deliberate. 
That, so that it was totally in the revision process. It sounds like there's this, there's this balance between uh, the poem being the personal, which is also the universal, and the poem being, or uh, the poem maybe delivering that in part through syntax. Right, right. It has to be delivered through syntax. It's otherwise, it's not. It, every, every, it's it's the funniest thing, isn't it, about poetry? Because every poem is totally personal, and yet everything that's totally personal is also totally universal. We hope, yeah, if we get it right, huh? We, I mean, in theory, every. I mean, in, not necessarily in writing, but in life. Every experience, nobody's, nobody's having an experience that nobody else had. Even an astronaut going to the moon. Right, most of us are never going to go in the spacecraft and go up into space. But the feelings they're experiencing are identical to something that you or I experience when you fall in love or when, you know, you... you you, you, you jump or, you, you know, some, something that, that mimics that kind of experience. I mean, I was, look, I was looking at somebody bungee jumping. I thought, there's no way I would ever do that. But I know what it's like to say to a man, I'm in love with you. Well, that's bungee jumping too. So all experiences, no matter how personal they are, they're also... They're also universal. So it's, but if you write a poem that's so narrowly personal, you know that it's that yellow handkerchief, and that only that pink blossom at the corner of Fourth and Pine, then you leave everybody out. And so there's, it's that lovely balance of how can it be completely personal and yet also universal at the same time. And yeah, it's a lot of its syntax. Well, um, you are the author of Territory of Wind and working on another collection and in between have edited several volumes. Um, tell me about, maybe tell me about what happened for you between that first collection and the one you're working on now and that poet versus editor in you. Editing has made me a much better poet. I mean, for as good a poet as I can be, my writing has gotten better by editing. Because it's a very, you know, it's, you know, as a writer, it's such a different ear. So the ear, you know, when we write, we fill in all the blanks in our minds. And you read the poem to somebody else and they say, well, I don't get it. And you say, but, well, that's not in the poem. It's only in your mind. So as an editor, I'm looking at, is it on the page? It's either on the page or it's nowhere. Because when I'm editing books, I'm spending hours at the library. I'm spending hours on the computer. I'm doing voluminous, my library, I've got my books mostly on the floor of the living room. Because I do theme-based anthologies, generally speaking. So my last book that came out last year is called Faith and Doubt. So I had, I mean, I was looking for every angle on the subjects of faith and doubt. I wasn't talking to most of the poets. Very few poems came unpublished. Mostly they're, they're reprinted that I found from somewhere else, 99% of them. 
So the poem had to work completely. I couldn't, on its own, I couldn't say, hey, could you work on this poem for me? And so I think that really strength, doing those anthologies has really strengthened my writing because it has to be, I mean, it's just so obvious. It probably sounds silly, but it has to be on the page. And I think also because in these anthologies, I draw from all points in history of the published of the written word, every part of the world where I can find something. I think my sense of what poetry is has gotten larger because I'm looking for, I'm reading poetry from everywhere and every place that I can find it. So have you pitched a theme to a publisher and had it accepted, so to speak? Or do you have to have that book pretty well in motion uh, and then show it to someone and say, hey, look what this can be? Well, the first book I did, the theme book, was called Truth and Lies. And actually, I had proposed a different book, and I had a very full proposal, and I sent it to this editor, well, my agent sent it to this editor, and he said he wasn't interested in it. So I asked my agent, ask him what he would be interested in. She did this, and he wrote back, and he had a list of four ideas. He, and then he called. We spoke on the phone. He said, you want to do da 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 I said, oh, you know, holy cow, okay. And one of, the t- one of the books was Truth and Lies. And I said, I want to do that book. He said, great, let's do it. Put, it. put a proposal together. And because we'd had such a great conversation, I actually... It wasn't an elaborate proposal. It was maybe a 10-page proposal. And then after that, um, I've just, ever since then, I just say, this is what I'd like to do. So the book that came after that was a collection. These are for teens, those books. I have done other books, but, but, but those books um, are for teens. And the next book that came was poems about the human body, and they've just progressed from there. Well, while we're talking about selves, poet, editor, uh, you're also an artist. You do a lot of collage. How does that feed in to your writing? Or how do you choose? This is something I'm always interested in, partly because I'm a mother. But um, how do you, how do you uh, choose to use your time? So you have this chunk of time, let's just imagine, are you, are you going to be artist? Are you going to be poet? Are you going to do a collage because you need to get your mind off a poem so it may come out more fluidly? How, who are you when you wake up in the morning? How do you decide who you are? Oh, that is such a cool question. Um, I could make a collage. I could feel no inspiration at all. And I could make a collage because it's a totally different process than writing. So collage comes from finding images or papers that intrigue me. So what I'll do is I'll go out into, it's our, I use our dining room as a studio, and I'll just pick things up. I'll just reach for various things. Oh, there's that picture of a... Like, uh, I found a picture of uh, Kate Winslet on a bicycle, and I ride a bicycle. And so I, and then I found this picture of an old woman. 
So I cut Kate Winslet off the bicycle and I put the, the old woman on the bicycle and she reminded me of my grandmother. And I made it in the summertime and I used to visit my grandmother in the summertime. I'm sure my grandmother never rode a bicycle. But it's like, oh, there's this. And all of a sudden, it's like you don't have to think. Where, but when I'm writing, and when I'm making visual art, I don't have a critic. It's, it's so incredible. When I'm cooking and when I'm making visual art, I don't have a critic. But when I'm writing, I have a critic. And so if I'm laden, burdened by that critic, it's really hard to write. But then what happens through making the visual art, then it frees the other part. It is interesting. It's like that imagistic part of us is older. It's older. It's, it's, it's natural. It's right? Writing is not. <laughs> writing is not. It is not. It, and that's so, I mean, it's it, it, prehis- prehistory. Prehistory. The, the caves in Lascaux. People were making visual art. They were making representation of their experience visually on the walls. And it also, you know, Kitty, I think it's connected to dream. Because we dream in pictures. We, and we might have language in our dreams, but it's in the context of a picture which is more of a visual story, at least my dreams, than a um, narrative. I mean, it's, nar- it's narrative, but it's narrative visually. And I think that's also the, con- the primal connection. Well, do you do a lot of reading aloud when you're working on your work? I mean, when, and when you're not, you know, in this setting of reading to an audience and get that spoken, that oral, as long as we're talking about older traditions, uh, in the room with you? Yeah, I never, nothing's ever finished that I write, prose or poetry. When I wrote my book, Writing in the Spiritual Life, I read the entire thing out loud when nobody was home. Every paragraph, I wanted there to be the cadence of the spoken voice in every paragraph, in every sentence. And sometimes when I read out loud, I don't know about for you, but when I read a poem or a piece of prose out loud, I can hear when I'm not telling the truth. I can't, if I read it to myself, I don't, I, I'm fooled. But when I say it out loud, something goes sour if it's not if it's not if it's not authentic not so much about true but if it's not authentic um you read a poem that we will hear some of because i did record it um for friends of yours who got married and um maybe you could tell us a little bit about that poem and Also, was it requested? Was it sort of a commission? Um, (laughs) And and how do you deal with that? Oh, can you write me a poem for? Or was it something you wanted to do for them? And even even in that, uh, it makes for a a tricky goal uh, for for an artist, for a writer. Well, actually, true confession. I didn't write it for them. They had heard the poem, and they requested that I read it at their wedding. Um, And so then I put the dedication for Gina and Claire on their wedding day. 
And it's not really a, it's not really exactly a love poem. It's called Dispel Fear and Hesitation, which of course love does, but it's not exactly a love poem. And it was a funny request that, that they wanted that particular poem read. Um, I wrote that poem at Pacific Grove High School, the first draft. I did a, f a quick write with my students, and I looked up at a fire alarm box, and that's how that poem started. And I don't like it if somebody asks me to write a poem for them. I really don't like to do that. I, I, I had to write a poem for a wedding once. I was paid in advance. And it was one of the worst things I'd ever written. I had to go there and read it. It was so embarrassing. I, I, now, we, we have a friend in common, Elliot Rukowitz Roberts, and he writes poems for occasions all the time. I did write him a birthday poem. He didn't ask for it, but I did because I, when he turned 70, because, well, if he can do it, I can do it. Um, but generally, if, I, I, would, I don't like to be asked to write a poem. So who are you reading right now? Um, I am reading Gerald Stern, um, his, new, his new book. I love his poem called Spaghetti, about using falso cheese on, on noodles and, and ketchup, I think it was. And um, I am also reading Kay Ryan, who's our new poet laureate, U.S. poet laureate, and um, a man whose name I can't, pronounce. I can see the book, but I can't pronounce his name. He's from Romania. And I don't, I can't pronounce, I can't even, I can't, I don't even remember his name because it was, it's so unpronounceable for me. Romanian poet. We'll check yeah, it out. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be an addendum to this interview. <laughs> um, and now, post-collaboration, post-writing spurt, post-reading, uh, here at East Village Coffee Lounge, you go home and and tomorrow I will go for a 25-mile bike ride in the morning and um, clean my house. And I teach I teach a class every Wednesday night. And um, I'm working on um, several book possibilities. So um, I have an editor waiting for a proposal that will be um, art and poetry. So I'm finishing up, my dining room is a complete mess. I'm finishing up some pictures right now to get ready for that proposal. Do you think it's getting easier uh, to combine art? In other words, for example, visual art and the writing in, in books. It's, it feels like... We're coming through a time when the bound, you know, the boundaries were a bit harder, and and stuff is showing up more mixed. It really is. Um, I'm really bad with names. I just was at Bookshop Santa Cruz yesterday and saw a beautiful book of about birds and little poems that went with these. They were collages of birds. I think there is a lot, a lot more going on. A lot of that end of publishing is less expensive than it used to be. You know, the publishing from digi digitally is really transforming that end of publishing, and I do see a lot more collaborative stuff going on. Really exciting. 
Well, Patrice, I wonder if you would take us out on a poem. Something maybe that you read here tonight or something that you're close to and what you're working on now. Okay, this is called My Alchemy. I'm the idiot of no restraint, the devotee of hitting my head against the wall ceaselessly despite the ever-growing bump, despite the angry neighbors knocking at the door. Hey, we're trying to sleep. What the hell's going on in there? What's going on in here? You want to know? I'm an alchemist intent on making sunshine out of melting snow and turmeric. I'm busy trying to blossom purple irises at the height of the worst winter on record, sleeping with the bulbs each night between my breasts, singing to them as if they were babies. What am I thinking? Even a stranger would wonder. Even a man in a hood and sneakers would know this gal's a real case, peeking in through the window at someone singing lullabies to stones. Patrice Fecchioni, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Kitty. You just heard Catherine Petricelli interview Patrice Vecchioni. For the Agony Column Podcast News Report, I'm Rick Kleffel. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.